lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates hobby talk like you never seen it. Sports cards live and I could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. Jeremy Lee and Dennis Zender, Mr. DPZ. I I don't usually run that video during taking stock, Dennis. It's it's a habit of mine, uh, and we haven't done this for about a month. But uh, welcome, everybody. Episode 10 of Taking Stock, hobby content collaboration between myself, Sports Cards Live, Mr. Dennis Zender, DPZ, and, of course, the Sports Card Dad YouTube Network. It is Thursday night, September the 26th, 2023. Again, I'm Jeremy Lee. That is Dennis Zender right over there. Mr. DPZ, what's going on, buddy? Not much. Uh, it's good to be back, man. It's been a little bit of time, um, but very excited to come back and talk about cards again with you and uh, take on another subject with Taking Stock. Well, we're 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 gonna we're gonna do. It. We're gonna talk about consolidation. It's uh, it's something that I think a lot of us think about a lot of the time. You know, it's something that most collectors probably consider. As they're uh, just, you know, we often are assessing our collection and making sure we're comfortable with the direction it's going in, with the direction we've come, what we've built, what we've put into our collection over time. And, uh, but it's something that we're seeing more and more people post publicly about, talking about the consolidation processes and projects that they're going through. We've seen some big ones lately. And, um, you know, it was top of mind for me, Dennis, because, Adam Gray, the real 27 guy, has very publicly and recently gone through a major consolidation where he's moved, like, I don't know how many, but several of his best cards in order to obtain an absolute grail, a Kobe Bryant logo man, uh, one of the first, if not the first Kobe logo man. And it's like a top of the mountain kind of card. And so we talked, I've talked about that with him and I helped, you know, talked about the whole decision with him. And you know, MK Sports Cards on Instagram, another person who goes through lots of consolidations. Uh, he seems like he's constantly posting up cards going off to fund your cards. And in today's world, we have we have people, whether they're dealers or new companies that are facilitating these consolidations. So I thought, you know what, what goes through somebody's mind when they are about to pull the trigger? And so you know, we'll get into it. I talked to Adam Gray today and we we talked about what went through your mind the moments leading up to actually pulling the trigger. What do I mean by pulling the trigger? I mean, placing your bid on the big grail that you're acquiring that's then going to cause you to have to raise funds to pay to pay that bill. So that's why I wanted to talk about this tonight. Uh, is there anything from your perspective, Dennis, that is kind of top of mind with respect to consolidation? Or are you just kind of noticing the same thing that I've noticed that it's, it's picking up steam lately? Yeah, I do. I think it's a trend. And it's a trend because I think people are attracted to the higher end card. Um, as you start your collecting journey, you, you kind of enter into this place where you're just, okay, you know, you're getting to know things. I mean, especially folks that are coming into the hobby. And even folks that maybe were in the hobby before, you're going, hey, there's an opportunity for me to finally get into some of these cards. Maybe you have equity built up with a lot of cards you've kept that have actually grown in value. So you can you can move off of those and and put together you know the capital to buy some of these cards. But I think a lot of the folks that are doing this, in my opinion, are people like myself. 
who have come through this whole journey and went, you know what? It's it's great to have some of these cards, but gosh, your mentality is if I can always go get go back and get it again, then why not put together a package of cards and go get that one card that I don't have an opportunity to get very often, if if at all. And if it pops up, be ready for it. The problem is, this is the bigger issue in my opinion. Folks don't, they're not ready for that. They're not prepared for that because who is going to get rid of all their cards in, in, in anticipation for a card they don't know when's going to become available? So what happens is you have to buy it and then sell. That's usually how it works. So it is tough. And then you have, and when you're pulling the, you know, I'll say this too, when you're pulling the, because I've done this, I've done this quite a few times. When you're pulling the trigger on the card you want, of course you, okay, I'm going to justify this by selling X, Y, and Z cards. But then after the dust settles, you get the card in your hand, you go, I really need to sell sell these cards to pay this. That's the that's the dangerous part in this whole conversation. Maybe others don't have that issue, but at the day, that's something I struggle with. Is like, gosh, do I really want to let go of some of these cards? And I've gotten to a point where I'm actually selling some cards that I may not get back to get certain cards. I know I can probably never get again. So it kind of just keeps whittling down and whittling down and whittling down. So you kind of need to figure out where you where you're happy where your happy place is with it. What are you happy having? What are you at the end of the day? What do you want to hold long term? And I think all of us are looking for cards that we want to hold long term. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I think so too. That that comes back to the whole, you know, all these cards need a permanent home. Now, one thing that I think I think there's a fallout, a potential fallout from this consolidation, and that is, you know, if you're trading away, like MK, I've seen him trade away 300 for one. Just today or yesterday on Instagram, he posted a 600 card lot going off to fund your cards, providing great service. But all of a sudden, that's 900 cards hitting the market all at once that are going to need to, you know, they're going to eat up discretionary hobby budget out there from people. And is that, you know, this is something it just kind of dawned on me is the fallout or there is one of the circumstances or just one, one, one of the repercussions of this. Is it going to contribute to a declining market because we are seeing all these cards hitting the market at once as a result of these consolidation processes? I don't, I'm not saying that, you know, it's not like it's happening a dozen times a day, you know, 200 cards per transaction. But, you know, MK himself has put 900 cards out into the market uh, on on two consolidations. So that that's something that, that I was I'm sort of thinking about and I wonder about and wonder your thoughts on that, Dennis. I mean, it depends on the market. It depends on um, the collector base. You know, I, I can speak to the Ken Griffey Jr. base. I put up a lot of stuff for sale that I think a lot of folks are like, why would you sell that? Those are great cards. I don't, what are you chasing that you're going to need to sell these for? Like, why would you want to let go of these? What is so great? And then sometimes it's like, well, I'm going to go get a Kobe that some of those folks don't worry. Cause Kobe's still a guy I hold, you know, dear to my heart and, and someone I want to PC and get back into. My buddy Adam is, is very helpful in that. Um, kind of sparked that whole, movement for with me um upgrading my kobe situation spinatron others that are that are wonderful that have helped me along that way but you kind of you know i think it depends on that market so if i'm pushing a lot of these ken griffey jr cards out there that are higher and i've done i've auctioned a lot of them off yeah that, you can kind of test the market and see what was what they're really worth and that also te teaches you maybe some of these cards that you thought were really really uh sought after and valuable maybe aren't as sought after as invaluable as you thought they were and then there's the fact that, you know, the market's down anyway. I mean, you're looking at the economy we're in right now globally. 
Um, you know, I don't think the money, if we were to do this next year, when maybe things are a little bit more rosier, maybe those prices are a bit more, but let's be, let's be honest. Like some of those cards that are coming out, they're going to come out into the wild. Don't come out into the wild when things are great. A lot of the times they come out into the wild when people need to move them. And that's when you need to be able to capitalize on them. So I don't know. I think it's a mix. There's just, if it's a small base of collectors, then yeah, I think it's going to hurt the, hurt the market. If you have a lot of cards hitting the market at the same time, but you got a bigger base, like a Jordan base, a Kobe base. I don't know if it really matters. We should talk about collectible cards later, collectible yeah, players. I mean, so, so Adam is in the chat, and uh, he was asked by JG, did he pay for his Kobe card last night with the, uh, with the cards that he sold via MC Sports Cards on MC Mondays? And he says, he does say we're close. A couple more Harry Potter cards <laughs> we'll sell next Monday, and then we'll be all paid. Then he responds to this. He says, I don't think it can affect the whole market in a huge way, which I, I agree with. I, but this is where I think he's right. It can influence a specific set or era or a specific card, especially if this if the card is advertised on a story sale and it doesn't sell the first time, then the price is lowered. Maybe it doesn't sell the second time. We see this a lot on story sales where the same cards are recycled by the same seller. Now, I'm not saying there's changing hands. I think by the same seller who continues to reduce the price until it sells because it's strictly inventory for a lot of a lot of those people. Uh, let's right. go to the top and just uh, say hello to West Texas. What's going on? Frankie's in the house. Perk is here. Filmington in the house. Sean Red says, my collection was 5,000 cards. It's now 200. I mean, listen, I'm a person that my collection is like 3,000 cards, Dennis, and the thought of consolidating, it gives me anxiety. And I mean, I, I do it, but I don't do it on mass. I do it a little bit at a time here and there. You know, every twice a year, pretty much, I go through the collection and I decide what do I no longer love as much as I once did? What am I willing to move? But it's not like a, a, a directed consolidation play. It's more like, okay, I'm going to sell these cards. The money's going to come in and then I'm going to put them into other cards on other platforms or wherever but I don't, it's not like a one for one thing or a 20 for one. It's just, you know, regular course of buying and selling. But when you have as many cards as Sean Red had, I mean, and you got down to 200, that's an accomplishment. Yeah. But I have to think that it, there was anxiety. I, I'm guessing maybe there wasn't. But for me, when I think about it, I have, a, I get anxiety thinking about it. You know, which cards am I willing to move? And am I going to regret selling them later? Something Adam said to me was that, and I, I, I think this is really important. And he also said it during a, on his podcast, Basket, the Basketball Card Podcast, was that he said he doesn't have any regret, like any seller's regret, but he has sadness. Like he's going to be sad to see some of these cards go. And that's, I think that's just, you know, that's a, that's, we go through a grieving process at times when we move a card. Sometimes we wish we didn't. Sometimes we're okay with it. But yeah, I think you go through a grieving process, especially when you're moving a significant portion of your collection regardless of what's coming back so thoughts on that dennis i just i think i think that the amount of cards you have that you consider enough is is different for everybody i think everybody has a different level of like you know this this seems like a lot for me this doesn't seem like very much for me um i can i can consolidate down from this like i have like 16 slab cards now 16 I, not i mean i used to have hundreds and you know i've been dancing down in that area for a while now but you know i feel really good about the 16 that i do have i feel like there's a handful of them i'll never get back if i sell um but do i miss some of the cards i moved to get these 16 yeah i do but i'm also trained myself and i've learned and grown to go okay what's the pop can i get it back to me 
it's about getting it back and can I get it back at some point? And if, if there's no way, if I, if I don't feel like it's, 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 it's going to be attainable, then I'm, I'm going to, okay, maybe think twice about moving that card. Um, I also think consolidating has to happen. And let's just use the common denominator in consolidation. Let's be honest. is because we just don't have all this disposable income to go buy whatever card we want when we want to get it. There might be great cards we want to buy, but they're just out of our range and we have to move cards together to get them. If we had Bill Gates' pocketbook, then we could just go buy the cards we want and be happy and not have to move any cards. Um, it's sort of an exercise in, in financial, you know, providence and being smart about how we, you know, manage that. And everybody has a different situation when it comes to that. So the stuff that I have might be completely out of the book for some other people, or some stuff that you have or other people have may be completely out of the book for me. But the desires are all different too. I, I just think that we have to do it because we want to get some of these cards. We have to give up something we like to get that. There's something about that that makes getting that card rewarding. And Adam can probably speak to that. And him and I talk a lot. And I know that it's redeeming to get something like that in your hands. Um, it's difficult to let go of the stuff, but when you have it and the dust settles, yeah, you're sad for a minute, but you're ultimately happy you have what you have. Yeah, that's why that's why the people that I've spoken to that do the cons that do consolidate, uh, that's that's what they're looking for is that king of the hill card, top of the mountain, you know, the epic grail. And I, I understand that. Uh, you just met you just said something that I think is really worth saying again or just emphasizing for a moment, which is when the when for example mk mk sports cards on instagram i i consider him the king of consolidating right now he's done more he's done he's anyway uh he made the point that the cards that he's trading away are cards for the most part that he thinks he can get back later and i think that that's an important thing right and you mentioned with the populations or the print runs like if you're going to go through a humongous consolidation and you are fearful that you might miss or regret moving some of those cards, at least try to focus in on the cards that you think you, you can get back in the future. I think that's that's a helpful way to look at it. Now, let's go to some more, some more comments here. Chad likes the topic. Good stuff. Welcome to the show. Uh, Adam in the house. Matt Carpy. Danger is my middle name. Very good. Very good. Uh, Mike Petty says all around the Mulberry Bush, the monkey. Yeah, okay. Anyway. Vintage card collector, curious on your thoughts on risk of having fewer eggs in the basket, not investing, but the principle of an individual stock versus a mutual fund. And I, I made this, I made this comment earlier. I think Adam actually responds to this down below. He says, yeah, Jeremy and I talked about this earlier today. You're correct. It's the opposite. Yeah, I said, it's the opposite of diversifying, but if your dream card is up, you got to get that thing, even if the cost hurts. That's where, and that's the difference between sports cards and traditional, you know, equity investing is yeah. that there's nostalgia in cards. There's emotion in cards. There's like, there shouldn't be any nostalgia or emotion when it comes to investing. And this is what differentiates this space with investors because we love the cards. The card might not be seen from an investor as this is the card, right? They're going to go, well, you probably, if you're really smart and if you analyzed all the data from the past 10 years, you should consolidate into this card. But you're going to say, I don't care about that card. I want this card because the auto is perfect. The patch number, the patch is beautiful. There's a little string coming off of it. You know, it, the, the serial number is jersey number. It is from an important set that's 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 critical to the hobby. It's It's an iconic set. It's a card that just looks just right. There's something about this card that just, it just dances off the freaking, you know, paper. It's just amazing. 
I need this card. It's not about the investment. Investment is like emotionless decision-making. It, it's not, you know, with cards or emo, cards are, it's like a romantic thing. It's like, there's emotion. It's, you're romancing the whole thing. It's not, you know, that's why this whole, I mean, when he started out, you come back into the hobby, it's all about investing. I caught that bug too. I, I was buying into all that too. And then you kind of realize, no, it's not. Yeah. And in a way you want to have a good store of value in your card. You'd love it to go up in time. And you want to be positioned in cards that will do that. But at the end of the day, you love the cards. You want to hold the cards. You want to, with with all the pro, you know, the, the provenance that comes with that particular card. Who held it before? Who who was the original owner? Who graded it? You know, how important is it to the hobby? How many people do you know would want it right now and ask you? You, you know, I've got a handful of cards. I know people, you know, are asking me, hey, where do you sell that? Let me know. To me, that's an important thing. That means it's an important card to the hobby, not just you know, from a value standpoint. So I don't know. There's, there's way more than goes into it. Oh, there's a lot for sure. Lots of, lot. I'm going to read a bunch of comments here because there's been some good ones. Latrell Sprewell says, I think consolidation is healthy at times, but when I do consolidation, it means I'm giving up two to four cards for a nicer one. So that's like micro consolidating. Mike Petty says, you know why they call them PSA, why they call PSA 10 one of ones? Because they're worth one cent. I don't really understand how that fits in, but okay, Mike, I, I get, I think I get it a little bit. He says, my collection has consolidated 1,400 cards. Like, that's where I'm sort of at. I've consolidated down to 3,000, you know? And uh, I, I think I'd like to consolidate a little bit further in some places, but every time I do, it's harder and harder to uh, to decide, to, to choose cards to part with. House of Jordan says, I have 2,478 Jordan cards, plus lots more, other types of memorabilia. I think I think that's a good amount. Antilytics, wow, thinking of 3,000 cards gives me anxiety. <laughs> Mike Truman says, no consolidation here. Growth forever. Whoever inherits this mess can weed it out. Well done, Mike Truman. That's a, that's a, that's a good attitude. Tip of the mitt, good to see you. Thanks for dropping in. Redemption says, my collection started with 100 cards. Now I own 6,000 Hockey Hall of Famers, 8,000 other sports, and approximately 20,000 comments, and I love it. Yeah, I mean, listen, we're talking about consolidation, but we're not saying it's for everybody. I mean, oh. You know, you have the people like Dennis who have 16 cards in their collection. You have some people who have, and I guess slab cards. You have some people who have, they stick to 100 cards. Mm -hmm. And then you've got people that it's like the more the better. There are people with hundreds of thousands of cards out there. NSE Ryan's has been consolidating this week down about 40,000 cards. Wow, in one week, you are efficient, my friend. Tip of the mitt, I finally decided to consolidate my collection big time. Too much bulk on hand. Time to let go? Yeah, I mean, I, I get that totally. Sean Red said, I had a little anxiety because I owned some of them for 40 years, but felt great when I bought the ones back in high grades that I really love. That speaks to buying them back, which, because this go. is, you said it, Dennis, consolidating is only required, it's only a necessity when you don't have the money to buy the card you want. So you have to go, or you've set the rule that only the only money you spend on cards comes from cards. And if that if that the, if that's a boundary that you've put up for yourself, I, I love it, I respect it. But you probably don't have millions in the bank, right? If you've set right. that boundary for yourself, so yeah. it really comes down to what are your financial resources like? Why do people do you need to to consolidate, or are you doing it out of sport just for fun to see if you can do it? Which means you probably don't care about the values anyway. In some cases, so you know it's fun as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam Gray says one thing that. MK, that's MK Sports Cards. Mike Kant said to me 
when I was planning on bidding on the Kobe logo, man, he said, I've never gone through the process of selling a ton for a single card and regretted it later. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's good to know The people who've gone through the process don't look back. Let me, and I want to, I think it's really, really, really important. Just, I want to make sure Adam gets the proper credit here. I, we've, I know you've given it to him, Jeremy, but I want to, I want to add more to it. What the card that Adam holds in his hand from a Kobe guy is so important. It's such a unicorn card that some people might say I'd sell everything I have to get it. It's a card you never see. It's, it's vital. It, it's, it's like, one of those things that's like everybody has a different version of what a grail card is. This one is so rare and so important and so cool that it doesn't even, it doesn't even live on any list because people just, you know, you just forget about it. You know, it's just one person has it. Adam has that card now. So buddy, I know you're feeling it right now. Um, but you have one of the most important Kobe cards to ever exist. And I don't know, man, as a collector, that is that is exciting. That is that is like thrilling to think about. And the cool thing about our hobby is, I don't own that card, but I could be happy for my good friend that he does own it. That's something about that is really exciting too. Watching other people go through their journey, acquiring the cards that they really want and love. That's exciting. I. I I'm not an envious person. I, I get excited for Adam. I like I, I get excited and cheer it on for him because I think that's such a cool thing to to how hard he's worked and how long it's taken him to get to a point where he can sell and move all these cards to get a card like that is to me something we need to be talking more about in the hobby. And he does talk about a lot of these wonderful stories. If you don't follow him or you don't watch him, he is a must. Um, just amazing content. But that in itself to me it's like you can't regret that you have something no one else could ever have now and I don't know, it is just it is phenomenal so I, I can't stress that enough well adam and and adam isn't uh a rookie collector or hobbyist like he, no. he didn't he didn't go into that that nope. consolidation play like eyes wide shut you know he went in eyes wide open he thought about yep. it fully I'm sure he consulted with his psychiatrist on it. I don't know that he has, but I'm just saying like, like Adam yeah. would have really thought this through, but he's, but also, and there's a comment right here. Mike Petty says that when you live in a fire zone, you have to be ready to take everything at a moment's notice, which that's, that's a really legitimate comment right there. Like I can't load up. If, if I have to get out of here, I can't load up all of my cards and, and the kids and a couple other things and get going. Like, you have to leave some cards behind when you have under a hundred cards or whatever it is. It's pretty easy to grab them along with your family members. Just along with your family, Just grab the kids first, kids first, <laughs> then the cards. That's what I recommend that. But, but it, Mike Petty makes a good point. And, uh, and, and it's true. I, you know, you also, you know, you know, the whole thing about having that one humongous card in the hobby, like that's, Listen, I don't think everybody is striving for that. That's that's a hobbyist, that's a collector. But it's like it's like for me, you know, people often often ask the question, what would you rather have? One ten thousand dollar cards or ten one thousand dollar cards? I'm point. a ten one thousand dollar card guy. That's what I prefer. I want more cards to look at personally, but I also have so many cards that I can consolidate and still have a very broad collection. 
So that's just, again, I'm not alone like that. There's many people that have collections like I do. And Mm -hmm. when you have, when you're starting with so many cards, like if you only have 50 cards and a big card comes up, you got to trade away 35 or 40 of your cards for it. Well, now you're moving 80% of your collection. A lot of collectors can consolidate and only give up 5% of their collection. So just to throw a number out there. And like you said at the beginning, Dennis, it's different for everybody in 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 all aspects of this what you like you know how much money you have etc so uh perk says having a single card that is worth more than i'm comfortable with means i spend too much time thinking about it personally i have to spread it around yeah like that's that's cool that that makes a lot of sense there's no right or wrong here everybody like that's the thing there's no right or wrong it's just what do you prefer and we're just talking about the the different uh approaches i guess latrell says i have to collect on a budget and when i purchase something nice i have to sell something else nice that i don't want as much that's just how i'm able to stay in this hobby and i think really that's just how you're able to keep interested in the hobby because it's one thing to have your collection and be done but we all like to have cards coming in and do deals and move things or have some change like that's fun too so I, I greatly appreciate like these are great comments so far, everybody as well. Yo Kev says I found I enjoy the hobby more with no expectations or selling to buy another, especially when my player is more of the purest in the sport, like a Jamal Crawford. Uh Latrell, I wish I could just buy up all the cards, but I don't have unlimited funds. So I have to make tough decisions. And that's just part, yeah. That's that's how it goes for most people. Most people can't just can't just outlay a hundred grand. When, when, when a logo and comes out or a million bucks or five grand or even $500, like all it's, it blows my mind how much, how we, how money seems to be devalued so much. If you're in this hobby, if you've been in this hobby for the last five years, money seems to be worth so little nowadays because of how expensive some of these awesome cards are. Uh, Ryan says, I've always been quality over quantity over quality. But for my family's sake, I need to consolidate. I hate to leave this mess for them. That's just a real considerate play right there by Ryan to uh, make sure that you're not burdening your your family with a big mess of a collection like someone up above. I forget who it was uh, is basically planning to do. But that was a, that was a, that was pretty funny. Adam says, "I think the great collections that were made under difficult rules and budgets are more impressive to me than the guys who have unlimited funds." Well, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. It's like. You know, when you see the the big, the people that we either know or suspect have multi-millions, if not billions of dollars, and they post cards, it's, it's not all that impressive. But when somebody who is really playing it out posts a big card, it's like, you're just happier for them because, for some reason. Even though when the big accounts get a real tough card that they've been looking for, and by big, I just mean the wealthy people, I'm happy for them too. I don't care how much money you have. I'm still hell happy when any collector uh you know reels in a big big fish justin bode good evening to you rubicon says when we die our families will sell the cars for peanuts let's put everything in perspective i've seen this many times and you know this is off topic but a really important comment by rubicon here which is you know plan for your ultimate demise people people you know you can get hit by that proverbial bus any day and and you don't know what that morning when you wake up so have your ducks in a row. Have your your have your have everything in order before you you die because you want to you want to leave your family with as much money out of this at the end of the day. 
it's it's your collection, but to them it's going to be money most in most cases. So do buy, do right by them and have a plan in place. Have a document with your estate papers that basically says, you know, upon my demise, I want these cards to be you know sold on consignment via such and such or whatever whoever you're close with, whoever you trust. Uh, that's really important stuff right there. I have a paper with my last will and testament with pure directions specifically for my card collection, where they're going to go, who's going to sell them on behalf of my family. Whenever that happens, it could happen tomorrow, happen 40 years from now, maybe 50. We'll see how old I am. Mookie Chilson says, can either of you name a card that you've sold, regretted selling, and then haven't been able to buy it back? I feel like I've always been able to get the card back. I don't have one. How about you, Dennis? Well, I'm hanging on to, a, I mean, I'm hanging on to a few of them that I know I can't sell and get back. So I, I'm not going to move those cards. There's a card I really wish I didn't sell. Um, it's a 97 embossed refractor, King of Virginia, 97 finest embossed. So it's just a beautiful card. Um, but the catch is I kind of want the 97 power gold refractor embossed, which is like a big deal card for the Griffey community. Um so that I feel like I can replace that card with that card at some point and be happier. So nothing yet that I feel like, uh, I'm never going to get that back, but who knows? We'll, we'll see how it goes. Good question. though. Yeah, really good. I don't have one where it's like, I regret it, but there are cards that I've let go that I would like to reacquire, but I don't want to spend the money to get them because, you know, when I sold them, I got 500 for them and now they're $5,000 cards. So Sure, I could go buy that card, sell a couple cards, or or just buy it outright, but I don't want to spend... I had it. I've had my time with it. That's another kind of thing to work into this discussion or just this thought process when you're thinking about your own collection is, you know, we're not... I'm not going to speak for everybody, but here's, here's, here's a, a line of thought that I've come across recently. We are not meant to own these cards forever. If you own a card for a year or five years or 10 years and then move it, I mean, you've had the the privilege, the enjoyment of owning that card for that period of time. There is there is some gratification in moving a card to another collector who's going to love it going forward. It's like spreading the wealth. It's it's that is something that I don't think we talk about in this hobby ever. Never mind enough, but just as simple as that. Like you don't need to own the card forever. Now, maybe you do. I'm not telling you not to, but there's something to be said for letting a card go, you know, as part of a bigger process. So um, Peeps right here says we're custodians of these cards. Yeah. Like, do we, we sure we have title to them because we have, you know, we have possession of them, but eventually they're going to outlast us. You want to jump yeah. in? Yeah, no, I, I, pick, I picked up a card from Sp our good friend Spinatron. Um, it was a big Kobe card, a, a, a super patch. Um, from 99 um, game jersey, uh, BGS 9. And there's like, they're, they're numbered out of 24, I believe. I, Adam will correct me here if I'm wrong. Uh, a beautiful card, a very big deal card. It doesn't sell. There's like four of them that exist graded anyway. Um, and I'm sure the rest of them you'll never see ever again. You have collectors that'll just keep them. Um, that's a card he held forever, for a long, long time. I take that very seriously. I, and I'm now telling everybody that it listens to this, putting myself on blast i take that very seriously that card to me needs to stay in my collection the longest because that's a card that he valued so much that he wouldn't move it until now he well he was doing his own consolidating um yeah I, I think that you know i take that very seriously so now i'm the custodian of that card 
And that card's a big deal to me. And it would take a lot for me to have to actually sell that card at this point. Yeah. Knowing everything about it, right? It's different from just buying the card. You, you... Yeah. And the, the cards I have now, I had to work really hard to get. So I feel like there's a handful of them that I know who sold the card to me. You know, I they reached out to me. We worked, we worked out a deal. It was a long process. It's not one of those. I have very few cards, like probably one or two maybe, where it's like a spontaneous, wow, this is a cool card. I want to go get it. Most of them, are they were like projects to get them, like kind of what Adam was doing with this Logo Man. There's like a, you have to earn it, man. There's sweat equity in that thing. You know, it's like, it's hard to get rid of that now because you put all this energy into it, right? I mean, there's all this back and forth. I, I, but there's something rewarding about that. Like it was alluded to earlier. Like you just have all the money in the world. You just buy whatever you want. There's nothing. What's special about that? I'm not like, again, nothing against anyone who has that budget. I mean, I think that's 1% of our, our collector or 1% of our, our hobby space that can do that. But I think most of us are living this way or they have huge collections. They don't want to sell. So we're speaking to like 99% of the collecting base out there where we have to, okay, if we want to get a really big card, we're going to have to probably sell some cards to get it because no one's going to want to, I mean, who has got $50,000 lying around? They can just spend on a card and, and be like, yeah, that was, that was the right, that was the right way to deploy that $50,000. Most people tell you, yeah. go buy land, go buy a house, go invest in, go get a CD for right now and get like 6%. It, um, seems, it seems like the hobby does attract people that have 50K lying around. Cause you know, especially during the, the pandemic when, you know, people had money to spend and uh, cards were a good way to just have something to do. And it's a, it's, it can be a flex for people who, who like to flex and that kind of thing. So um, let's go through some more comments here. Actually, the first one I want to bring up is is Adams because he's responding to you where he says, Spinatron doesn't hold stuff that sucks for a long time. That's an awesome card, DPZ. So oh, he's, he's uh, in favor of it. Patrick O'Connell says, currently going through a consolidation in the anticipation of a whale coming to market and being able to pounce. Like, that's another strategy. Like, you know, you want to be, you want to be able to pounce when that card comes up. And some right. people, like, you don't need a specific target, but you can kind of get ahead of the, ahead of the, of yourself, ahead of the game here, get your, get your war chest built up so that when something does come, now you can go buy it. But you have to be careful not to buy cards you, you really like, but, but that you don't absolutely love. Like, don't, don't, squander that war chest uh on the cards that you know just because you're bored sort of thing but and that's so dang it's so easy to do that I, i'm guilty of that we all are he goes on to say as a big fan also a big fan of less higher valued cards makes moving things easier logistically there's obviously a bigger market the lower the value redemption says never have i heard anyone say my collection is complete and stop buying or trading maybe investors because for them it's it's a product they can broker. Yeah, right. You're 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 giving him an applause because he's exactly right. I don't know. Our collections. To, this is a lifelong journey. This Constantly. is a hobby. This Constantly. isn't. There is really no. I have end goals within my collection. Like you know, I need ten more cards for the set I'm building. But but I'm never going to stop adding cards to my collection. No. I say when I'm 75, I will, but I'll, we'll see what happens when oh, I get well, there. You'll be 77, and you'll still want something else. It's, so, it's, it's part of who we are. Exactly. John says, I do a lot of rookie prospecting in hockey and buy higher-end cards of the players I pick. The issue with hockey is that the liquidity is limited to unload the cards. I'm patiently waiting. Yeah, I mean, you do have the whole country of Canada in your corner, but um, I guess it's tougher than the other three, the other three major sports. 
Uh, okay, we did that one from Adam already. So I'm gonna I'm gonna just kind of pause from the comments for a moment and just so what I did in preparing for this episode, and uh, I let Dennis is aware of this, is I solicited some of my my good hobby friends on Instagram in a in a in a in private chat. And um, I said, like, here's what we're talking about tonight. Do you guys have any tips, comments, anything? So I heard from a few guys. I'm just going to read a couple of these things and would like to get some of your, your response to these comments. Uh, Adam Gray, we'll start with him. I don't think I mentioned this before, but I, I actually did. But I'll just say it in different words. When he placed that bid on that Kobe, he literally sat and looked at his computer screen for half an hour before thinking about all the reasons why he should or shouldn't make this play. And I think it's really important for people to do that, you know, to think things through. So uh, do that. Make, you know, just think about it. You know, try not to act impulsively, but sometimes you have to act fast. But you can act fast and not be impulsive. You just have to think logically, think it through before you make the before you make the play. Uh, mm-hmm. Spur Fanatic said, consolidation is like an accordion. Every time I thin the pile to buy something big, it quickly grows back to its regular form. So consolidation could be like the person who goes on a diet, right? Every year you go on a diet, right? You lose 40 pounds, you're starting at 250, you lose 30 pounds, you're down to 220, you gain them back, you lose them, you gain them back, right? It's that it, it it's that roller coaster sort of ride. And then MK, MK had a lot to say. He's done a lot of consolidation and I think he's probably an expert at it now, not only on how to do it efficiently, but also on the emotional toll that it may take and i can tell you the guy isn't looking back ever he he does say it's intertwined closely with the pareto principle which we are both we both have had have had the father of the pareto hobby principle is brent wire deep value investor we both had him on our shows and um and mk called out the pareto principle he says as a long-term collector it makes sense to consolidate into bigger cards to hold long because as time goes by the lower value cards go down and the higher value cards go up and become harder to get. And I think that is not a universal truth, but I think it's it's uh, definitely a truth, you know, most of the time. Because some lower value cards do go up in value. They do, but the higher value cards that we're talking about that go up, the really important, the essential credentials, the EX2, I mean, these really important cards that cross all the hobby, right? Not just baseball, basketball. These cards, and, and maybe the modern cards, the you know the the flawlesses, the exquisites, the, you know the logo men, you know national treasures, the ones that really for the players that really pan out, right? These cards over time, because they're so limited and they're so sought after, people that own them, like my you know anybody who owns them, are less likely to move them because of now there's a new a new element to the desire for the card. The exclusivity of the company of being you're in owning it. That's a whole nother piece of it going. I am one of five people that own this card. I know the other two people out of the three people that own this card. How cool is that? You become part of the sort of fraternity of ownership of a card. It's a whole nother level of cool that adds to it. And as time goes on, these cards become harder to get, you know, I think people are going to be less likely to move them. So you kind of, you know, I don't know. I would never tell anybody, go grab whatever you can, sell everything you got to get a card because that's going to happen. Who knows what cards that's going to happen to, but it's probably more likely it'll happen to the card that's already rare and sought after in demand now. 
than what could become that later, like swimming upstream, I guess, or swimming downstream, upstream. There's a there's an analogy in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, let me get back to uh, some of MK's further comments. Then I got some counter stuff here. Uh, but he he goes on to say his experience with consolidation is at first most collectors are against it, himself included, because it's hard to let go of cards. I think we we all kind of feel that way. Uh, but once you start, it's very gratifying, gratifying acquiring cards you never dreamed of owning. And then it becomes addictive and easier to do, which I learned that the first time I started, I sold any cards was the, when you set, the more you sell, the easier it becomes to sell. And that's, I don't know, maybe that's just a psychology or my psychology uh, and, and others, I'm sure. He said, and now it's easier than ever to consolidate because dealers are willing to trade down and you've got services out there who are facilitating this, like fund your cards and MC sports cards, among others, I'm sure, who are taking an active role in doing this. Um, he also met it's, it's advantageous from a taxation perspective. If you are talking to your CPA about it, consider ta- telling them what you might plan to do. And if this is going, I personally, and I do have experience in tax accounting, I do believe that it, it does allow you to minimize your tax burden instead of selling a card for cash and then putting it into another card, making it a trade is very advantageous. As long as cash isn't passing through, you cannot be taxed on the appreciation of something that you didn't cash out on. It just, it's just not how taxation works. Simply to put it simply. Um, so here's another one. He says, it re- and this is similar to what we were talking about. It reduces your risk on very expensive cards. You don't have to worry as much about market timing because if you did, if the card you get goes down in value 50%, he feels it's likely that the cards you gave up went down in value at least 50%, uh, which is good. And then this all, everything that MK runs his this business by or the way he approaches it, it all assumes that you know what you're doing. All bets are off if you're consolidating into higher end Trevor Lawrence by selling Michael Jordan's LOL, right? So it's basically trading up at the end of the day. Usually it's the the smart thing to do. But then Cajun Collector, who a lot of you know, says, I'm a collector, not a consolidator. Collectors don't sell 300 cards or replace it with one. At least this collector doesn't. And that's totally fair. Totally fair to approach it that way if you have the money to buy the card you want. Although Cajun has sold cards in order to buy others, but he was done with those cards. So that's, it's like one thing to, 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 you have to really also decide, are you, are you disposing of cards that you love that are PC cards still, or are you moving cards that maybe were PC at one time? You don't love them as much. You've had your fill. So now you're willing to let them go. That's how I do it. Mostly cards were PC, but you know what? They're not PC anymore. I've fallen out of love with them for whatever reason. I'm now going to move these and I'm going to buy something else with the proceeds. So uh, but he does say, I'd rather just go spend money to buy the cards than sell what I wanted to buy, than sell the cards I wanted to own in the first place to buy more cards. And I think that's where I have the anxiety from is I don't want to have to choose which cards to sell. It's always tough to do. So those are the, that was kind of some of the comments I got uh, amongst, uh, from, from some friends. And I, I'm, I'm kind of sad because uh, Chris Hoge, Chris McGill He's gone through some consolidation or he's going through. I heard him talking about it on uh, on the crossover. I was listening to it actually uh, today, the Friday episode. And um, he, I, 
believe he was talking about going through a process right now, a consolidation process. And I was hoping to hear his, but he didn't, wasn't logged in and didn't get to see the message. So I didn't get any of his tips or comments or thoughts on the, on the topic um, at that time. You know, um, something else we should talk about here at some point and segue into is grading and how you sometimes when you do, when you, you have to consolidate cards, you're taking higher grade cards and you're, you're grouping them together or you're selling them to buy something that's in very much of a lower grade in a different slab that you may not be used to buying. Sometimes it's the card. It's not the plastic. It's some, maybe, well, I don't know when you want to segue into that, but I think that's also a, a, a big part of that, that, that discussion when you, when you do that. Um, and I have something I want to say about that. So you just let me know when you want to rifle no, into I that. Mean- I think we've got we've got a lot here. There's some more comments I'm I'm gonna run through. I'll run let me run through some more comments here and we can pick that up uh, shortly if that's okay with you. Sure. Okay. Uh John says hopefully the CCP in China makes hockey the second sport available on their live broadcast. The only reason the NBA is popular in China is because it's the only Western Western sport that's available to them. And that that makes makes sense to me right there. Uh Peep says, how about a card either you once held in high regard that you would sell, that you would now sell? I mean, I just sold one. I had a Topps Wayne Gretzky rookie, PSA 9. Really, you know, a valuable card. And, um, you know, had I sold it during the peak, I probably would have got $80,000 for it. But I didn't. I got I got half that. And I still, you know, 8X'd my money on the card from when I bought it. But I, I bought it because I thought it was good value. I sold it. I think I, I think I did well on it, and I'm okay with it. I don't need that card anymore. I've got four Opeachy rookies that I like more. So there's an example I have uh, to that question, peeps. Do you have any anything to add to that, Dennis? Um, I mean, I'm selling my '93 Finest Refractor, uh, Ken Griffey Jr. It's an important card for him. I just sent that off for auction. Uh, I battled with it for months now. Um, there's not very many for sale um there's like one for sale right now you can find and they want way more than i think anyone's willing to pay right now it's a pop 100 card so there's a lot technically there's a lot of them out there i'm sure it'll surface again but yeah that was tough to let that one go but again you know i needed to pay for some cards you know that i bought and you just kind of have to do it at some point you can't keep everything you want if you want to have certain cards so yeah. Okay. Uh, Mookie Chilson says you have to build the war chest and fill it back up. As soon as you deploy it, consolidation cycle is never ending for me. All my cards have a life cycle or shelf life, except a few grails. It's an interesting approach. It's not my approach because I have cards that are not going to go probably ever until I'm dead. Many, I'd say most of my cards are that way, but you know, there are things that happen in life. Sometimes they come out of left field and, you know, that aren't about consolidating to a grail. That's what this episode's about. But sometimes you need to pay for something. You need a new roof on your house or whatever it might be. You know, sometimes you just need to, to use card money for real life. And that's that's completely okay. I mean, uh, of course, first of all, they're your cards. You can do whatever you want with them whenever you want. But um, I, I'm never going to hold that against anybody. John says Canada's population is 40 million. It's nothing as a market. Well, it's not nothing. 40 million is, uh, you know, it's California. Take, you know, hack off California. You're going to see probably a recession in the U.S. So I don't think it's nothing, John, but I understand what you're saying. It's a tenth of the size or or a bit, a ninth the size of the U.S. So it is a smaller market, but it's not nothing. And especially 
when you consider Canada isn't the only market that collects hockey cards. We've got all we got all Scandinavia, not huge, but we got Scandinavia and a, lar- a ton of people in the U.S. too. It's and kind of unrelated, but we do have a very strong collector base. Not as many flippers in hockey as uh, well basketball for sure. Newfie Sig, just about to start an eBay channel selling hockey cards almost exclusively, will be limiting to Canada to avoid international shipping issues. Well, okay, good strategy right there. John says, if the U.S. market does not start driving hockey prices, I don't see much change in the current market. Canada is too small of a country. I agree that the U.S. market needs to jump in and, and help if we're going to see anything, but hockey cards aren't doing poorly. Like they're, 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 doing, they're doing just fine. But this isn't about hockey cards. This is about consolidating. Vintage card collector, moving key rare cards actually helps the market. Okay, it's a bit of a contrarian to what I was thinking. Example, well, I'm sorry, not key rare cards. That's that's not, this is a new topic. Uh, the best vintage wrestling cards never sell. A few collectors own them all. It holds down that market. Yeah, because some people might just kind of throw up their, throw their arms up and be like, well, I'm not going to get the card. So I'm not only going to not collect the gold card. I'm not going to collect the prism or the this or the that either. Because if I'm not going to get, if I'm not going to like complete the rainbow, why bother building it in the first place? Uh, so definitely understand that approach right there. Patrick says, since we're talking about acquiring big pieces, what sites, platforms are people going to outside of eBay, PWCC, Heritage? I mean, you've got consignment sellers, and you know, I do I, I do shows covering them for MC Sports Cards for Slab Sharks in Canada. Uh, they they use eBay, but you know. It's all, all the, any platform is game. I'm sure alt is being used. I have to think that alt is being used. Com C is probably being used. I think a lot of them are. Adam says the anxiety is real. Jeremy, picking out what you have to sell is awful. I know. I sometimes try and I just throw my arms up. I forget this. It's too stressful. Too stressful. <laughs> Latrell, I have to buy a new roof soon. Yikes, a lot to chew on. Sorry to, to bring that to top of mind there, Latrell. And Richie Rocket says, Consolidation helps make rare cards available. Good time to take advantage and buy. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that that's a fair point. A little similar to what, what I was saying earlier about how, you know, all of a sudden with a guy like MK, who's just basically put 900 cards into the market over two consolidation plays, you know, does that have a negative impact on some of those cards? Because they're just, if they're not going to sell, the price has to keep on being reduced because the the, the consolidation facilitator needs to convert those back to cash, I think, in most cases. Hobby Champ says, I buy from my slabs and ComC all the time. Cards AH been holding off until the season starts, hoping to consolidate my Ultra Modern into more superstar game use patches and lower numbered superstar autos. That makes a lot of sense to me, Cards AH. And John says, I will be selling some cardboard to acquire my Porsche Cayman S this winter. All the power to you, John. All the power to you. All right. I mean, you know, it is like cards are part of they're part of i'm not going to say us i'm going to just speak about myself dennis and you know not along if you feel this way but listen for me 42 years 43 years now in this hobby you know almost like immersed the whole way through took a five-year you know break i guess you could call it but my collection i feel like it's a part of my identity you know Call me materialistic. Call me uh, what a shallow. I don't care. It's just I'm sure a lot of the people watching this can can this resonates with you that our collections become a way part of the way that we we look at ourselves, especially if you're like in the hobby. You know, 
as a full-time hobbyist, I'm not saying you don't have another job, but if you're really in this, it becomes a big part of who we are. And when you are going to carve out or remove a lot of them, it's like you're losing a part of your hobby identity, not your identity, not your identity with your family, your friends, your colleagues, your career, whatever, but your hobby identity. Like it's so, the cards are so much a part of us. I I feel people who are like me that when we move them, you need to really, you, I need to really be, be sure, or at least figure that I can get them back in the future. So Dennis, you're newer back in the hobby. Do you feel like your collection, like, do you feel, let me, let me ask this question to you and everybody else. Do you all have a hobby identity? And I don't mean your brand. I mean, based on your collection, do you, and not by brand, I mean, not your Instagram brand or YouTube brand or, you know, PC with DPZ or sports cars live. I don't mean that. I mean, your hobby identity based on your collection. Do any of you feel like you, like you feel like you have a hobby identity? Oh yeah. Easy. Griffey. He's my favorite athlete. He's my son's favorite athlete. Um, I mean, it's, it's, I think most people know that I, I love to collect his cards and big fan of his. And there's maybe the Kobe element as well, but that's probably lesser known. Um, when I talk on all these different shows, um, Filmington or with you, um, I'm talking about Griffey most of the time. So I think it's, uh, that's, that's my brand. That's people know I like to collect them kind of goes back to a conversation that they've had on the crossover a few times about people looking out, you know, everybody knows Drake's PC loves Peyton Manning. I was at a, a random card show this last weekend with my buddy Ken. And we were looking at, I mean, this, this old guy, this cataracts, he's just selling stuff. And I, I went to the Peyton Manning section just to, just to thumb through it to see if there's anything there that maybe Drake would like, you know, you never know. I mean, there were, there, nothing was of value there, but I think that's kind of part of the hobby experience is that you have people you know within the hobby that collect certain players everybody knows that's who they collect so you kind of keep an eye out for those players those cards there's something cool about that i think there's people that send there's people that send me like auctions of griffey cards and this and that and just you know i may not be a card I'm, I'm interested in but the fact that they thought of me when they saw the card means that they're thinking of me they're thinking of griffey and they're connecting the two and to me that's pretty cool i'm not gonna lie um but yeah, I, I think it's important to have that identity. I think we all love our cards. That's why we watch these shows. That's why we tune into these lives and, and listen and talk and share about cards. We do it all the time. It's all we do. And it's fun. We can never, it never gets boring because we just love cards. So it definitely is an identity. Um, like I said, it's still very much a niche um, space, but I think it's, I think it's a special space when yeah. you can have, all these different people that you know collect certain cards. I even went to the hockey section thinking about you. You know, I, I it just that's kind of fun. I think that whole element is kind of neat. Yeah, no, well said, man. I mean, I, you know, and, and here, Cards AH says it right here. Could someone see a card and think that's a card for you? You know, that's that's a special kind of exactly. place to get to in your in building your. And I'm trying to figure out in my mind, is there, can I delineate between a hobby brand and a hobby identity? And I, th I think, I think you can, because I, I think to me, the, and listen, this is just the way I'm defining them on the fly here. My, uh, my hobby identity, I want to be, I want it to be based on my collection and the cards that I'm, I'm after, 
my hobby brand is a completely different thing. It's based on my ideas and my, you know, my theories and what I say on what I say when I'm doing my live streams and this and that and what other people are posting to their stories, their thoughts and ideas. But then when you post your cards and you post cards to your to your main page or wherever you're posting them on on whatever platform, that's building up I, I what I'm calling the identity. I'm sure there's a better word, better words to describe these things. I'm just trying to, you know, suss out this kind of uh, this 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 line of thinking here. Which makes me then think like when I when, when we do want to whittle down our collection, whether it's a consolidation move or just a whittle down, I'm now thinking, okay, I'm gonna I'm now gonna be focusing in on my identity cards, not my favorite cards or my most valuable. I'm gonna say, okay, which are my what I consider to be my and I'm calling them my identity my hobby identity cards right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna put those in a pile. Okay, I'm not moving those because if I move those. I'm going to lose a bit of my part of my hobby identity. I just sold off several of my Michael Jordan cards in the last couple of months. And I lost a part of my hobby identity. So I, I'm, I am speaking from experience here. I lost a piece of my hobby identity when I disposed of those cards. And I'm okay with, I'm okay with doing it. But I hope to, uh, you know, and I've got so many other cards still that it's like, I'm not going to, I'm going to miss some of them greatly. But I'm also thinking, okay, they were high grade. I'll buy them back in lower grade. I don't need, you know, gem mint copies. I'm good with a near mint mint copy. Lots of these cards. I'll buy them back for 10% of what I sold the, 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 the PSA 10 for. I'll buy the eight for 10% and have 90% of the money, you know, in the bank or to, do, to buy other cards with. So um, identity cards is something that I'm, that I'm thinking about right now as a result of, of this discussion. And I like, you know, as you were saying, and as cards, AH says right here, a couple of people, a couple other people did, did, uh, put a comment in the, in, in the chat here. Uh, house of Jordan says my collection is my identity out East here in Nova Scotia among other collectors. Yeah. You become known for what you collect. Mike Truman says pro set. Mike Petty says you look like Griffey too. <laughs> so he kind of does. Kind of does actually. Uh, Justin Bode says, "I'm still in the accumulation phase." Yeah, I mean, great. That's, that's something else. Recognize where you are in the hobby. Don't think because we're talking about consolidation, you have to start looking at consolidating. You don't have to do it. Abel in Vegas says, "My hobby identity is all over the place. It's eclectic. Spurts lately, I've been adding a lot of Las Vegas players with a focus on Bryson Stott. Great approach." Cards AH, it's a good feeling when you get a few tags on Facebook because people see cards and think of you in your PC and know it fits your hobby identity, for sure. It's That's always not a nice thing. Mookie says, I think of it less like a hobby identity, more like a few very curated exhibits in a very specific wing of my cardboard museum. Yeah, that's a that's a great way of putting it, Mookie. Um, a really good way. And that's probably a better way than I was saying it. So thank you for, for that uh for those words right there for myself. That's going to help me see this clearer, actually. Sean Red says, my collecting identity is collecting the top 20 hockey players that played in the NHL from 1980 to current. A nice, well-defined approach right there. Brett S., it's like having a finger amputated. Sure, you have others, but you miss the one that is gone, right? I That's, that's a, little, a little harsh. I don't know about losing a finger, but okay. But but he's get he gets the point through because you know it is a part of you. Like the cards, it's not like the cards are you know attached to us, but mentally and emotionally they are a part of you. And and I I get the analogy. I real I really I really understand that. Richie yeah. says 
How would you differentiate identity cards from favorite cards? Will they not be the same? Maybe. Got to think it through. This isn't a this isn't a a well thought out uh, line of discussion here. I'm literally on the fly. Uh, baseball card here says I don't have an identity, but I have very few specific focuses. However, they cover several eras of baseball cards. Yeah, that's a great way to do it too. The Timster hobby identity is a, is a real thing from a personal perspective and maybe a broader hobby perspective. Thanks, Timster. Ryan says, literally going through the binder right now. Yeah, I mean, these discussions do get the, it does get the the mind racing, right? Sean Red says, my collecting identity is collecting the top 20. I think we did that. Timster, I felt the same way as you, Jeremy, when I let go of some key cards, right? John says, my hobby identity is 1979 Gretzky. That's more my brand though, John. I would say that's more the brand because I, I analyze and do deep dives on those cards when I'm uh, reviewing them on the PWCC shows that I do. So, but I hear you. I think I am known for the Gretzky card now. This last comment, anyway, keep going. I'll read it. I haven't read it yet. Should I put it on the screen and read it without seeing it? You got to just put it on. Jonah says, my wife's boyfriend consolidated his card collection from about 4,000 cards to 650. My wife's boyfriend. I mean, I had to read. Okay. <laughs> baseball card says my biggest issue with selling cards to fund other cards is I tell myself I'll buy it back later and I never do I don't think I've ever bought a card back that I've sold before okay I want to dive into this comment here because I think that's okay you kind of grow past some of these cards because you've owned it you don't maybe don't need it's like MK MK says I can buy these back doesn't mean he's going to it means he can Knowing right. that you can get them back because they're not one of ones or they're not PMG greens or whatever the case is, but you will, if it's like having the opportunity to buy them back is almost enough. It's not buying them back, but it's almost enough mentally speaking for a lot of people. I, I'm still laughing to show this comment. <laughs> that was a really good one. I know it's kind of silly, but that was really funny. That totally took it through me because I'm like, wait, what? That's that's one of those live comments that you just you gotta love lives. Anyway, sorry. You never know what to expect. <laughs> you never know right? what to expect. <laughs> Stukes joins us. Hello, Stukes. He says you can sell cards that are part of your semi-permanent collection. I call that I call that like the gray area. You know, I've got my PC, I've got my traders, and I've got I've got this. Sorry, I got these this limbo box. I used to have a box. I actually had a, a sticky on it that said limbo because there were cards that were in limbo. It's like, okay, because what I do when I'm when when I'm whittling down the collection, whenever I, I do it, I don't just take the cards and sell them. They sit for like an extended period of time, weeks to months before I actually let them go. And so they they sit in limbo. So that I can go back to them and say, okay, nah, there's 20 cards here. You five back in the family, the rest of you out of the will, you know, you're gone, you go. But I, if I can make a recommendation to people, give some, some advice based on, on how my experience, if you have, if your psychology is, is at all like mine, take a moment, you know, take a moment, let it, let it simmer Put them, put the cards in limbo for a little while. When that might only be an hour or maybe a month, whatever it is for you. But uh, let them sit in limbo for a bit, and then, and then you know, then go through them again, review it again. It's like double checking your work in school. Double check that you weren't because you know how they say, you know, don't 
don't write an email response when you're when you're emotionally fired up, right? Don't don't act on emotion. Well, you never know when you're going through those when you're going through your boxes or your cards, you might you might not be in the best mental state. I'm not saying you aren't or are, just you might not be. So go back and have another look before you actually ship them off. Get comfortable if you have the time to be able to do it. Sometimes you have to move quick to to get the card you want. Rick Lyle, welcome to the show, says, my collection was all over the place until Sports Cards Anonymous. That's Dakota. Haven't, is he, see, haven't, wow, there's a blast from the kind of recent past. Anyway, talked about building a collection. Now I have one of the best Ernie Banks Tops Master Sets on PSA. Congratulations, Rick. I'll just say you have one of the best according to the PSA graders on the time they graded them, but I know there's a big competition on the PSA set registry, no doubt about it, but I like the focus. Congratulations on the focus. That's uh, if you can, if you can consume content and whoever you're watching or listening to can help you see things clearer. That's good content, right? I do it. I, I get, I get inspired by content creators almost every day, whether it's introducing me to a card I've never seen before. I thought, Ooh, there's a cool card. I'm going to, research it now i'm going to go buy it buy it and and some of the some of its friends from the set or just thinking about other ways to approach the hobby you know our theories are our theories they're in the four walls of our head until someone comes along and presents you with a theory that you think oh you know what that's a better theory than my theory i'm going to adopt that as my own you know and i'm going to kind of change my my, my course and to me that's a sign of uh of of like intelligence being able to uh being able to recognize when someone presents an idea that makes more sense to you than the existing one did. Sorry, a little bit off topic there, but, uh, and baseball card, I will say a lot of the reason I haven't bought those cards back yet. Did you say those reasons? I'm curious what they are. Mookie Chilson says, Stuke in my cardboard museum, there's a permanent collection, rotating exhibits that you cycle in and out of storage and then visiting art that's just there on loan. Mookie, I love it. I love that. And this ties in, Dennis, don't you? Do you feel like this ties into the whole consolidation thing? Because to consolidate, you have to make decisions. And if you have a if you have a framework in place like Mookie is talking about, I think it's going to make the consolidation process less stressful. I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's always difficult. But I mean, we're always in constant curation. You know, we're in constant curation mode of our our museum. So we're always buying and selling different exhibits because we get maybe we've grown tired of one of the exhibits and it's time to move that off to someone who's not tired of it and wants to have it for a while. I really feel like this custodian of cards thing makes a lot of sense, especially with the collector cards, not the cards of the, you know, Bowman prospect that flame out that nobody cares about anymore. Like five years later, I'm talking about, you know, the real cards, the cards that really, the cards that matter and, and have this like, provenance over time yeah people want to share in that right um so i think there's like there's you know you just kind of keep, it just keeps moving you know it has it's like a, a living i have a lot of guys in the griffey group that have bought cards for me um or they bought they they won them from auction when i've auctioned them off and now they have it and then they're showing off getting all excited about it and there's a part of me it's kind of like yeah i missed that card but i'm excited seeing it in somebody else's collection yeah, for sure. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a great approach. That's a great mindset right there that you have. We were asked earlier if you know, and maybe even recently, um, 
I do have one experience where I sold a card. This was right at the beginning of the pandemic when we weren't sure what was going to happen. Like right before a car started to take off. Uh, it was during the, the virtual expo. I think it was June of 2020, May or June. Anyway, I sold my, my it was a, a Reggie Jackson rookie card. 69 tops, Reggie Jackson rookie card. It was in a PSA 8 holder. Um, and I sold it. I think I got 1500 bucks for it. Probably an $8,000 card now. And I missed it. I missed the card because I love that card. And it's one of those cards where I didn't let it sit in limbo long enough. I probably would have, you know, clawed it back and kept it. So yeah. at the National, the Atlantic City National, last year, 2022, very last day, I see this PSA 6.5 Reggie Jackson sitting in someone's cabinet and someone's showcase. And this thing was from the from the baseball card collector investor dealers blazer division let me tell you this thing is it looks like a nine but it's got you know if you look under it's a white bordered card so it's hard to tell if the corners have any real issues but you look under you can see a little bit of the a little bit of corner wear but the card is gorgeous anyway i bought it back and i love this card and i love my six and a half more than i loved my eight it's like the pro i consider it my prodigal son of of my collection because it, it went away and it came back, and it's it. not a rare card by any means, but to find the right one, and all of you, I appeal junkies, and and I say it kindly, snobs out there, I, I say that with compliment, not, not, not to be derogatory, um, you know what I mean, when it comes to a vintage card, they're not all the same, it doesn't matter what the slab, I don't care what the slab says, I care what the card looks like, I wouldn't trade it for my old PSAA, I mean, unless I could buy it back and, put, and pocket the money, but... Anyway, so that, if you want to go if you want to go full circle on that story, then you should have the PSA eight, and he's got to get all pissed off that you welcome back the PSA six point five, and you like him better, and you're having this big party for him. Well, he's my he's my I sold it to my buddy Andy, and I he sold it. He since sold it, and he probably you know I don't know what he got for it, but he made money on it, and um, and I'm happy he did. I sold it anyway. It doesn't matter. I got the card back. And yep. that's the only instance I can think of right. where I really wanted to reacquire a card that I moved. I'm sure there's others. They're just not coming to that's mind the, right that's, now. That's, that's content right there I think people like to hear. They like to hear those stories. That story you just told was cool. Like, it was interesting because like I didn't know you had a Reggie Jackson PSA 8. I didn't know it mattered that much to you. I remember, I remember when I was a kid. Here's a story. I remember when I was a kid, um, one of my best friends when I was like in grade school, his dad kept all his cards from when he was a kid. So we had all these 1969 tops. He had the Johnny bench, you know, uh, all-star rookie card. It wasn't his rookie card, but it was the all-star, the second year card. He had all of these amazing cards. And I remember looking at those going, Oh my gosh. And of course my dad didn't keep any of his and I was all disappointed. Right. But he had all these really, really cool cards. That's 1969 set is a big deal. It's a huge deal. The fact that you had one of those cards, because I remember he had a Reggie Jackson too, and they're all in binders. So who knows what, you know, what kind of condition they were in back then. But and that was in that surge too, is like junk wax era. So all those cards were getting a lot of appreciation. The fact that you cared about that card a lot is a big deal. The fact that that set meant a lot to someone like me, that's another story. These stories are what make the hobby go around. That's the collector. That that's the stuff. That's content, man. I love it. I more okay. of that. I love it. Those are that's a great story. Thanks for sharing that. And there's there's the card in my collection right now. I mean, look, does that's that sweet. does that look any worse than a nine? 
that's a beautiful card, man. I mean, I know I mean, you're looking on my phone on your screen, but does this? Well, look yeah, but it still looks sharp. But you can see the white around it. It is centered. I mean, registry is nice. Registration, I mean, beautiful. It pops right out. The blue. I mean, yeah, it's a, that's a gorgeous card. I love this card. I have a painting of this card in my rec room over behind the wall that's right in front of me here. Like, I love the card. It, I will that's never. It. This card is not going to be sold. I I just love it too much. Okay, let's go to a couple comments here. Go, so uh, baseball card said, I will I will say a lot of the reason I haven't bought those cards back. I sold some of them pre-pandemic and have a hard time paying the prices now to get them back. Yeah, that's exactly why I don't buy. That's exact my experience too. I'm just going to keep it simple. My experience too, uh, baseball card. Zach Pierce says, when you buy a card, it gives you a dopamine rush. When you sell one, it's hard to buy back because it's kind of like been there, done that. And that excitement of owning it is not there. And I, 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 I get that. I think there are exceptions like me and the Reggie Jackson, you know, where it's like, I got to own the Reggie Jackson, you know, sometimes you just, and especially a card like a Reggie Jackson is so easy to find, you know, it's like when the right one comes, I'll pick it up sort of thing. All right. Uh, junk wax kid. I've been hyper-focused mostly on Hank Aaron and Willie Mays. It's fun to be zeroed in on a goal. It's fun. And it's going to also be economical as well in most cases. Mookie Chilson says, Jeremy, for all you know, the Reggie was cracked and resubbed, and now you own the same card. Will never happen when tag grades vintage. That's true. Um, yeah, may maybe this is my old eight is what he's getting at. But no, my old eight was off-centered. I could probably find a picture of it somewhere. It was off-centered, and I got a what I think is a perfectly centered six and a half. It was, it's nicer than my eight. It's legit a nicer card than my eight. Buy the card, not the grade. Uh, and Mike Petty, I might have to buy a second 69 Reggie just out of <laughs> just out of principle. Do it, Mike. Do it. We can we can uh we can enjoy them together. All right, Dennis. Um, I probably time to wrap up. We're an hour 15 in. That's usually like where we like to be. Mm -hmm. Chat, you guys. Listen, we, we it's been a while. Taking stock is meant to be every second Tuesday. We're going to try to get back on track. We almost went with like a, a, a freestyle episode tonight. And then we we honed in on consolidation. I'm glad we did, Dennis, because I think there's yeah. a lot of good stuff there. I really oh, yeah. enjoyed doing the show tonight with you in the chat. We chat, you guys, both, both on the Sports Card Dad channel and on the Sports Cards Live channel. We are streaming this to two different channels right now. I want to thank all of you guys for joining. Uh, and for all your comments, this was great. Saw some new faces, some old ones. Just thank you guys. Sincerely, thank you. And you too, Dennis. No, absolutely. You too, Jeremy. That was a really good topic. I feel like that's all we needed. And, and I think it's it's a it's a topic that matters right now. I think a lot of folks are thinking about it. A lot of folks are doing it. Um, it's fun to talk about it and see what everybody else's journey has been like and what they're thinking. So yep, yeah, right thanks, on. chat. Good stuff. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Jonas, for the final comment there. This was fun, everybody. We'll be back in a couple weeks. Have a great rest of your week, you guys. Tomorrow's hump day Wednesday. With that, this episode of Taking Stock is now over. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.